Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me ahead of the holiday weekend. We've got updates on a handful of injured starters. How much can the defense rely on Dennis Gardeck this season? We begin, though, with a roster update. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 586, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So it's not okay to steal. It is okay to borrow, however. And if you're going to borrow specifically a phrase from someone, Paul Calvisi, Mm-mm. you had at least better give them credit. Ruh-roh. So I am going to give you kind sir credit because oh. as you like to say keep your head on a swivel <laughs> i thought you were going to accuse me of being uh poly plagiarized but no no, no, no. no okay all right keep your head on a swivel because okay. that's what we've had to do this week yeah. with respects to the arizona cardinals yeah. roster you've got 53 and then well maybe you got some changes and you add some pieces and you got to subtract some pieces we got the practice squad so, yeah, as Cliff Kingsbury mentioned earlier in the week, he has really yet to address the team as a whole because we still don't quite know what this team is going to look like until that first practice of game week. Think about if you're Christian Matthew and you're the seventh rounder out of Valdosta State and there's the final 53, except it's not so final because less than 24 hours later, uh, guess what? There's been another corner that's been acquired in a trade and you've been relegated to the practice squad, at least we presume. So, hey, like Greg Dortch said, he didn't truly exhale until the waiver claims came out, till he realized, all right, at this point, I think I'm safe, knock on wood. A guy who was cut five times his first couple of years, a guy who originally made his first roster as an undrafted rookie, only to find out the next day or the day after that, no, sorry about that, guess what, there was someone on the waiver wire that's going to take your spot in the final 53, so... You're right. If you're at the bottom end of the roster, head on a swivel because uh, the operative word is churn. And especially a Steve Kime will do that. The final three, four, five spots throughout this season, they're going to conduct these tryouts, what, every Tuesday? They're always looking to replace the 52nd or 53rd guy on the roster. We always make a big deal. Final cuts. Final 53-man roster. But in truth, it is never Final. To your point, they are always searching to figure out, can we get better at certain positions? Maybe not starters, maybe not backups, but guys, are you better on special teams? In a pinch, are you a better third running back than what we have right now? A better fifth running, uh, fifth wide receiver than we have right now? So, yeah, it's fun to say you made the 53-man roster, but until you really get past that first game and then contracts become guaranteed if you're a veteran, then you maybe be able to relax. But really, there is no relaxing in the National Football League. Was Adam Schefter tweeted out, 864 players were released. That was the number as you went into the final cutdown day. And as you mentioned, it continues through the season, and you never know what sort of grade that certain clubs have on certain players. For example, we only learned after they signed Trace McSorley last season that they had worked him out out of Penn State. They had real high grades and thoughts regarding Trace McSorley. So these GMs and these coaches, there are players out there for other teams on other rosters, and when they become available, 
they want to kick the tires because they were intrigued by him coming out of college. There's only so many draft picks. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, Cardinals' week one opponent. They drafted, they had the biggest draft class in 14 years, the Chiefs. Ten players they drafted. That's the most in 14 years. Nine of them made the team. So that's remarkable, you know, to me for a team that's been to the AFC Championship game four years in a row, and they kept nine rookies from this year's draft class. That and what's really good for the Cardinals, at least in my opinion, is you're playing the Chiefs in Week One. If you got to play Kansas City, play them Week One because they're playing a lot of these young guys. The the Trent McDuffies of the world are going to start at corner first regular season action. George Karloftis first regular season game. A Sky Moore is going to be in for a Tyreek Hill first NFL regular season game. If you have to play Patrick Mahomes, you know what? I think week one is the time to do it. Well, same thing a year ago. When was the best time to play the Tennessee Titans? One of those teams that was much talked about in the offseason, they were going to be a playoff Super Bowl contender. When do you want them? Well, you want those teams early when they really haven't hit their stride. And we saw what happened week one in last year. You were down on the sidelines. Certainly an unexpected, not when say unexpected outcome, but the margin of victory for that Cardinals yep. game. At the end of that game, when the Red Sea had, had really come all the way down to the rail as the Titans fans were leaving and they were back behind the Cardinals bench and the Red Sea was celebrating that jack stomping in Tennessee and they're yelling out, hey, these Titan fans need a new team. Should we adopt them? Should I give them my jersey? And, and, the, and the Titans fans are just heads down in shame. When you come out in a game like that and Derrick Henry had like nine yards rushing on his first eight carries, by the time he got his yards in that game, the game was over. I, you know, yeah, D Hop and Christian Kirk with two touchdown catches apiece, and then the game Chandler Jones put out there, and you realized that the Titans were a little discombobulated in offense because Julio Jones was not a real fit. They thought Julio Jones was wide receiver one. No, he was not, and that was the gift that kept on not giving the rest of the season until they released him. So, you know. The one thing that you do like about the Cardinals, yes, they have some new players at critical positions, but like we interviewed a Rashard Lawrence last night in the Big Red Rage, and he said just the fact that it's the same defensive system. Now for his third year, fourth year overall with Vance Joseph, just the fact that you have the same coaches and the same system and the same verbiage, I think that does give you an advantage in week one. Year four for both the offensive staff and the defensive staff. So there is some continuity on the coaching and then on the players as well. So you can kind of go in and why the starters haven't seen any or very little reps in preseason. Well, they know this offense. It's better to be healthy and ready to go week one as opposed to, and I understand, you know, get the rust off, but risk versus reward. I'd much rather go with the reward of having making sure my team is healthy week one than, all right, let's get you out there for a series or two. And look, Craig, you, you talked a lot of the players, and, and they'll tell you, not necessarily always on the record, but they firmly believe that one of the big reasons the Rams and the Bengals were in the Super Bowl last year is because when it counted, those two teams were healthy, as opposed to a Cardinals team that was not healthy in December. And in January, yes, there were other issues going on. Yes, it's been a persistent problem, the slide in the latter part of the year for two years running. But injuries certainly played a big part, whether it was D-Hop, whether it was James Conner, whether it was J.J. Watt. We can go down the list, and I don't want to go through it and relive the end of last season. But 
there is a method to the madness with Cliff Kingsbury. And we can sit here and we can squawk and we can wonder and we can say, you know, look at Patrick Mahomes and what he did in preseason game number two. And he led a pair of 12-play touchdown drives. I mean, he played a lot in the preseason. So did Travis Kelsey. Well, you know what? There's really no ground to stand on based on how the Cardinals came out of last preseason and the fact that Kyler Murray only threw four passes and he completed one for two yards and guys like us were wondering aloud and all the noise and the Cardinals dismissed that entirely. So based on the precedent sent last year, you got to stamp them regular season ready. They've been there and done that. And if they don't come out and play well against Kansas City, I don't think it has anything to do with the month of August. I really don't. It's just Kansas City was a better team on week one that Sunday. Now, what might factor into that week one performance, we do have to talk about injuries because there are still a handful of players that we have not seen and some big-name players, Justin Pugh, Rondell Moore, Zach Ertz, Marcus Golden, asked about each one of those. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury said basically the same thing, Paul. Quote, it'll be close, end quote. Close as in close whether they will play week one. Now, I'm not quite ready to sound the alarm, but I'm getting there if Pugh, Moore, Ertz, and Golden aren't on the practice field early in next week and obviously available week one because you're talking about key pieces to both your offense and defense. I mean, think about it. These guys didn't even play in the preseason, and they're still questionable with injury right now. It just... Now, if you were, if, if I was a betting man, um, I'm expecting Marcus Golden based on what Cliff Kingsbury said that he's hoping to have him out there on the practice field. The fact that Marcus Golden is at a charity event for the Cardinals at a high school football game the end of this week, hopefully that bodes well as to the return of 44. Cliff Kingsbury did tell the media uh, it'd be nice to get junk going, quote unquote. Just the fact, okay, he is your quote bell cows. How what he called him about pass rushers, you know, Justin Pugh. I do expect him back out there. I'm not exactly sure when the stinger happened. I think he had a vet day on that last physical day. So, uh, you know, and, and it was sort of opportune the way it worked out that Cody Ford came in and all of a sudden got a ton of reps. And Justin Pugh, your 10-year veteran, uh, got some rest time. So, and we know Pugh's opinion. He made a note on the Big Red Rage. He gets paid for 17 game Sundays. He has no interest in the preseason. Not any, And he figures he's in some of the best shape of his career. He gave us an example in the Big Red Rage, Justin Pugh, that you know he lost the weight for his wedding, thought he was going to retire. Then all of a sudden, the Cardinals met his number. He came back. He put on good weight, according to him. He's back up to about 285, which is where he played all of last season, according to Pugh. He, he started out his, his off-season training. He said he couldn't do a single pull-up. Now he can do about 10 or 20 of them. So, I mean, he's in really good shape. He said every single day he did O-lineman drills. He had worked with LaCharles Bentley, and they do a lot of that, DJ Humphreys. So I think he's poised for a big season. Now, Rodney Hudson? I, I, I mean, what's your gut feeling, Rodney Hudson? Zach Ertz, who we haven't seen since early in camp. We don't really know exactly what his status is. And the Rondell Moore, that's an undisclosed injury, right? Nobody's truly certain because they don't have to put out that injury news. They haven't. I'll say this about Hudson. At least I've seen him this week in practice during the open portion. Rondell Moore, seen him working out on the side. Okay. The that is that is one injury that because it's undisclosed, it hasn't been asked of the head coach. You're wondering, okay, is it just more out of precaution? And we go back to last training camp. JJ Watt did not see a single snap true rep during yep. training camp. Fine, ready to go week one. Is that what 
Zach Ertz has become now? Is is he this year's J.J. Watt? And, okay, I felt something in my calf. I'm just going to shut it down and then dial it back up when it's game week. You know what? Maybe they got to look at Zach Ertz the first few days of camp and said, oh, boy, he looks really good. Let's make sure he looks this good week one. Let's not take any chances. Yeah. Multiple Pro Bowl tight end. Let's not take any chances, sort of like with J.J. Watt a year ago. And you're right, Rondell Moore was sprinting before the game in Tennessee in the heat and humidity with about 40-something guys getting in a pregame workout. They then went in and showered, put on sweats, and watched all the backups for the most part play in Tennessee. And what does Rondell Moore have in his career? He's got a history of injury. He did at Purdue his last two years, and he did last season. You know, it's one of those other injuries I didn't even mention. When the Cardinals were losing five out of the last six a year ago, including the playoff game, Rondell Moore was on the sideline for the majority of those games. And so I think the Cardinals, to your point, it's an extra abundance of caution with some of these guys who have an injury history. Okay, no chance, no excuse. You're going to be ready to go against Casey. Hopefully that's been the approach. We'll see what happens after this long holiday weekend and that first practice, how many of these players are on the practice field and how many still we haven't seen. Now, the one big injury and I don't even know if it's an injury because we just don't know. And I'm talking about Antonio Hamilton. The mm-hmm. uncertainty on his availability, whether that's week one, week two, week three this season, very, very interesting. And the word choice and trying to figure out what's going on. And maybe we have to read into what the team did as far as acquiring Trayvon Mullen from the Raiders, claiming Javelin Guidry, who had been waived by the Jets, just to add some depth in that cornerback room? Are we, can we read into those two moves, or were those moves that were likely to be made regardless of Antonio Hamilton? Yes and yes. <laughs> they were already looking for cornerback help. There's no question about it. Uh, if they liked those guys, I think they still would have traded and or signed both Trayvon Mullen and Javelin Guidry. you got to love the name Javelin. Absolutely. You know, for a guy who runs a 4-2-9, you know, and don't think of the old AMC car either, okay? <laughs> and we're thinking Javelin is flying through the air. That's, that's what we're thinking. Um in terms of Antonio Hamilton, though, if you want to put it from uh, coach to English translation, all right, um, the absence of information is not nothing. Now, let me translate that. If it is going to be minor or short term, Cliff Kingsbury typically will say as much. The fact he hasn't about Antonio Hamilton makes me a little more concerned. The fact that there's such an absence of info and, and no forecast whatsoever. Uh, makes you really wonder, okay, is it going to be one week? Is it going to be one month? I could easily see one or the other at this point. Just the uncertainty alone doesn't give me a lot of confidence the Cardinals are counting on Antonio Hamilton anytime soon. And by that, I mean at least the month of September. That's sort of the vibe I get, um, which is too bad because he had a heck of a camp. He's the one guy other than Andy Isabella and Greg Dortch, because you heard Cliff Kingsbury after the game say, express his respect for two guys who not only brought it every day in camp, brought it every rep. They didn't take a single rep off. And Andy Isabella said as much after the game, too. He kind of caught himself saying, you know, and he had a real, his post-game radio and his post-game locker room media session both had an edge to him. But he made a comment, you know, I, I wasn't one of those guys who decided to take a bunch of days off. And then he sort of caught himself and went back to just talking about the positives. So, He noticed that. The coaches noticed that. I think they respected that, that they brought it, him and Greg Dorch, every single rep. 
And Antonio Hamilton, I would say, would be another guy who did that in camp. That's how he went from the back end of the cornerback room to a starting spot alongside Byron Murphy before whatever happened here now that he's dealing with. And now you have to go, okay, let's plan accordingly. No Antonio Hamilton. What do we have to do to figure out the depth or just bodies in that cornerback room? And we knew a move or moves would have to be made within that position group. And Kingsbury asked about Mullen and Gidry, quote, we needed depth. So you look at this depth, and are a Mullen and Gidry better than what you had in a Chase Whitaker and a Josh Jackson? I would presume so. Yes. Now, how much better are they? That is the unknown, and whether maybe a move will be made after week one when maybe you bring in a veteran who's out on the street but don't want to guarantee his salary at the moment. But I'll say this about Trayvon Mullen. Because of his size at 6'2", 200 pounds, if he is that guy and can be a starting cornerback opposite, not Byron Murphy, opposite Marco Wilson, we've heard the coaching staff say, Paul, they like Murphy in the slot. Yep. And if you have Mullen, who can play one side, Marco Wilson play the other, that would allow you to utilize Byron Murphy in his best position, and that is playing slot corner. You know, and I agree with that. Uh, they love Byron Murphy in the slot. They think he's exceptional. He's elite in the slot. He's still good on the outside, but the Cardinals' defense is at its best when he's in the slot and you have capable outside corners. Trayvon Mullen, at least based on what they had in that room, is proven. He's a known versus an unknown. You remember the opener against was the Patriots 2016 and Brandon Williams yes. was victimized. Third round rookie, mainly played running back at AM, world of athleticism, had made the conversion at good size, speed, athleticism at corner, but he was really inexperienced. And he was a rookie in his first regular season game. And boom, he got victimized by the Patriots and Jimmy G. And that led to a Cardinals loss. I'm guessing the Cardinals, conversely, are going to go into this Kansas City game and they're going to see Trent McDuffie out there. And they say, hey, let's test that rookie. That's something at least you don't have to worry about with Trayvon Mullen, who comes in with nearly three dozen starts under his belt in the NFL. He has career interceptions. He's picked off Patrick Mahomes before. He knows the AFC West. So at least you can plug and play that guy. I asked Rob Fredrickson how big a deal he doesn't know, you know the playbook all that well. He said at corner, not a big deal. Cover two is cover two. Cover three is cover three. Press man, we know Vance Joseph's affinity for that. I mean, can it get easier than that in terms of an assignment? You guard that guy. Go and just get in his face and stay on his hip. So in terms of you know putting them into the defense, now you got to make sure because this was part of the problem with that Brandon Williams back in 2016. There was a check made, and he didn't get it. He didn't, he didn't catch the call from Patrick Peterson, and then boom, doom ensued. So you got to make sure – that there's no missed assignment, what they call an MA or an ME, a mental error with a Trayvon Mullen or a Javelin Guidry. Now, Javelin Guidry is considered strictly a slot corner at 5'9", and that's what he's played with the Jets, and he does have experience. So, okay, because yeah, I'm guessing at times the Chiefs will go four wide. And you look at what Guidry's speed and what he ran at the combine, you see him on special teams, a gunner being able to play maybe more special teams, being active on game day, and then, if needed, play some cornerback, depending on what that particular week's opponent does when it comes to pass catchers. And just like Isaiah Simmons has worked a lot with the safeties, you've seen the safeties in, in some of the camp practices that were open in the slot. 
you've seen a Buda Baker or a Jalen Thompson drop down and 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 then someone else play a, a steep center field safety like an Isaiah Simmons. So you know, you have a history of a Buda Baker and a Jalen Thompson kind of playing a hybrid corner role at times. And I would not be shocked in week one if you saw both of those guys at some point in that capacity, depending on the defensive call by Vance Joseph. I feel better about the cornerback room. I wouldn't say I'm ecstatic or I'm I'm looking forward, put it this way, I'm looking forward to seeing what those additions yeah. can do and then how much is Isaiah Simmons covering a slot receiver course week one we expect him to cover Travis Kelsey Dang. a lot yeah but Jalen Thompson Buda Baker guys that have that ability to get closer to the line of scrimmage and showcase their coverage yeah. skills I mean how many teams truly have two or three legit corners the Rams just won the Super Bowl obviously Jalen Ramsey and then they had Darius Williams and he was good not great and then it really fell off from there and they just won the Super Bowl and they just lost Darius Williams they're going into this year with Jalen Ramsey and a lot of unproven talent in that cornerback room, and they're defending the Lombardi Trophy. So to your point, you have two elite safeties. You think the best pair of safeties in the NFL. You have an Isaiah Simmons, who's that X factor, and then you have Byron Murphy, who's an above-average corner. So you just got to make sure that second and third cornerback spot isn't a complete liability. They don't have to be pro bowlers. They just can't be victimized time and time again. You know, and then there's Marco Wilson, which is still an unknown. And here's what's intriguing. I had a conversation with a couple people about Marco Wilson, and players know no players. And this is what they pointed out to me, Gree. And you, you, you tell me if this holds water or not on Marco Wilson, because I tried to get this in on the Big Red Rage, and Rob Fredrickson wouldn't let me because he kept going. <laughs> what is it with you and co-hosts yeah. on that show that just, just love like, to hear themselves speak? What's going on? He took a shot at me about uh, actually uh, being the guy who retrieved the javelins <laughs> in uh, in high school, and you know, and I did hear that. Yeah, I just so that was anyway. Um, Here's the point on Marco Wilson. We saw him struggle at times, especially against the Rams, right? Cooper Cup and OBJ made catches against Marco Wilson. Matthew Stafford targeted the rookie at the time. But a lot of those were closely contested, right? A lot of those catches were, oh, man, he was there. He just didn't make the play on the ball. And here was the point that was made to me. When you watch the other playoff games, what Cooper Cup and OBJ did to other defensive backs – as they went forward in the playoffs, three more games, I mean, they made a lot of DBs look stupid. They got a lot of separation against a lot of DBs. That Marco Wilson was there as a rookie. He was poised to make a play. He didn't in a lot of cases. And the passer rating he gave up was was elevated, no doubt, if you believe the pro football focus numbers and some of the other metrics. But he has all the talent in the world. So they've tried to kick him in the tail pad throughout the month of August, trying to get him going to realize, you know what? You could be a really good corner with all the skills and the measurables you have. There's just been a disconnect somewhere, and, 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 and the coaching staff obviously has tried to, to remedy that with their approach to Marco Wilson, but make no mistake, at least it was told to me by other players, that you know he really did have a, a pretty dang good rookie year, and especially compared to some established corners who got torched the rest of the playoffs against OBJ and Cooper Cup. You know what would help a Marco Wilson and the rest of the cornerbacks? Lay it on me. A pass rush. Yes, yes. As we continue here on yep. Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, if you can get into the backfield, you affect that opposing quarterback, less time to look downfield, less time for those DBs to cover. So 
That brings us to the question of, okay, who is rushing the quarterback this season? You do have Marcus Golden. You do have Dennis Gardeck. And then it was interesting because you and I talked about this off air. Cliff Kingsbury, his last media availability of the week. Remember, no practice on Thursday, an extra extended vacation, if you will, for this holiday weekend over Labor Day. Kingsbury, quote, there's a bunch of guys. And then he added those guys that can rush the passer and specifically mentioned Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, plus a healthy J.J. Watt and Zach Allen. But you just dropped... An inside linebacker, Simmons, your star backer, and then two defensive linemen. It was interesting. Isaiah Simmons also met the media, and I asked him, all right, so potentially how many different positions do you see yourself playing? And he sort of paused, and you could tell, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not getting an answer on this question. And he said, no, I'll I'll pretty much be the linebacker, you know, as as – nobody's buying that we're just not and and that has nothing to do with with Isaiah and his comment it just has everything to do with where we've seen him the first two years we've seen him in a half dozen different spots and I don't expect that to change he's not exclusively going to be the weak side inside linebacker he will at times and we saw that during some of the open practices there were times where he was next to Zayvon Collins, and they were the two inside linebackers. But there were also times where Isaiah Simmons was in the slot, and he was playing deep safety, and and then he there he was on the edge. And there were times where we saw Zayvon Collins the end of last season, plenty of times where he was on the edge, especially when they were at a lot of injury issues at outside linebackers. So if Nick Vigil and an Isaiah Simmons will take him at his word, are your two inside linebackers, what about Zayvon Collins if you want to get 25 on the field? Which goes back to that comment Cliff Kingsbury made. So very intrigued. Thing is, unlike Hassan Reddick, he's never played that position yeah. before. You know, Hassan Reddick was a highly decorated All-American at Temple coming off the edge. Ridiculously productive getting into the backfield off the edge. That's not Zayvon Collins. There's more of a learning curve at edge than there is that inside linebacker, which he's yet to master. So I'm not sure, you know, is it strictly going to be third and long, second and long situations? Probably, but is he, even that being the case, is he better than a Victor D. Mukherjee? Has he earned a pass rushing rep over a Dennis Gardeck? If Marcus Golden is indeed back, even a MyJ Sanders, a situational pass rusher? That's intriguing and merits monitoring going forward. Zavin did play outside linebacker and rush the quarterback late last season when they were trying to get him on the football field. We have seen him rush the quarterback in the preseason, but if you want 25 on the field, no matter what position, maybe also you look at the roster and see six inside linebackers, and that includes Isaiah Simmons. Did you keep six because maybe... Zavin's going to be doing something else. We know Isaiah Simmons is going to be doing something else, and you need that extra body in there just to kind of help everyone else. And you know what else? If he's in there in pass rushing situations, maybe he doesn't rush the passer. Maybe he drops into coverage. Because agree or disagree, Craig, his best aspect of his game this August was him in coverage. Absolutely. He looked really good downfield against tight ends, downfield against running backs, I mean, he's 6'4", 260, and he can run. So if I I don't know that she's come out with double tight ends. The Raiders come out with double tight ends. They pair Travis Kelsey with another tight end, Darren Waller with another tight end, and those tight ends inevitably are 6'5", 6'6", and you don't want to put a Buda Baker or Jalen Thompson in those guys just because of the size mismatch. Boom, 25 is out there. He's also able to do what Jordan Hicks couldn't do most of the last couple years, cover the running back out of the backfield. 
And so yeah, we know we know Andy Reid's propensity to throw to the running back out of the backfield. Daryl Williams has been that guy the last four years. So if a running back's coming out on a wheel route, oh, I don't know, like two years ago against San Francisco in the opener that victimized an Isaiah Simmons, well, Zayvon Collins is up to that. He, he's very good in coverage. And I could see Vance Vance Joseph using him in that capacity. You brought up Dennis Gardeck, and I've been impressed by what I've seen, more so than what I've heard from whether it's the coaches or from Gardeck himself. But this does look like Dennis Gardeck back when he was getting seven sacks in 93 snaps, when he was surprising offenses. He might still be surprising offenses, but he looks quicker off the line of scrimmage. He's not hesitating at all. And it is not the year after. It's two years after that ACL injury in which you see players really get comfortable and kind of back to where they were. And if you can have Dennis Gardeck be that guy opposite Marcus Golden, not that teams are going to look to Gardeck versus Golden. They're always going to search out 44. But now all of a sudden, what does 45 do coming from the left or right side? And he's so unconventional. Yeah, at six foot, he just looks like a pit bull, and he comes in like a Tasmanian devil, and he's all over the place, and the movement, and the speed, and the explosion, and all of a sudden, he's using that spin move or a rip move, and and I think he gets underestimated and underrated just based on... I remember DJ Humphreys telling the story the first time he went against Aaron Donald. He said, you know what? This guy's tiny. I'm going to smash this guy. And then he found out the hard way that he's an NFL Defensive Player of the Year and an all-timer for a reason. Now, I'm not putting Dennis Dennis Gardak in that. I'm just saying he gets underrated. And, and I think, for example, in the joint practice against the Titans, one of my big takeaways was the performance of Dennis Gardak against Taylor Lewan and some of the other starting offensive lineman for the Titans. He was a problem. He, he really was. He came in. He got under their pads. He got into the backfield. I mean, how many times in August did we say, oh, that play wouldn't have happened because 45 would have got the quarterback. So if you gave me a power pole, guys, I'm most curious to see against the Chiefs in week one, Dennis Gardak would be top three. Just based on what we saw in 2020 and the absurdity of seven sacks and 93 defensive snaps and a bunch of other production as well versus last year where he's coming off the ACL and he wasn't quite the same player. Well, he's back to be in the 2020, Dennis Gardeck. Gardeck earlier this week beating the media, quote, I feel like there's some expectations this year and I'm ready to rise to that challenge, end quote. So you get that three-year contract. Yes, you are valued on special teams, but there might be more value and the reason you got three years because we think we found something that you can rush the quarterback. Remember, it was inside linebacker and special teams. They moved him outside, and he has shown that he will not give up no matter if he's staring down a 6'7", 380-pound tackle or going inside against the guard. He is relentless to get to that quarterback. Charlie Bolin, the outside linebackers coach, told us in the Big Red Rage this offseason that when you watch the film from last year, he didn't have the sack numbers, obviously, but he really did affect the play. He did impact the pocket. That other guys got to the quarterback because of Dennis Gardeck, that he, he was that effective. And so based on the coaches and the personnel evaluators, Steve Kime breaking down the film of Dennis Gardeck, that's how he got the three-year $12 million contract extension for an undrafted guy out of Sioux Falls who had played at West Virginia State. His joke on the Big Red Rage, I said, you know, what were the crowds when you played college ball? He said, well, at West Virginia State, it was 
friends and family and three drunk volleyball girls. That was his quote. That, that, that was the attendance. It reminded me of Rodney Gunter, who played at Delaware State. And his rookie year was 2015 when the Cardinals went all the way to the NFC Championship game and they were media darlings and they were in Sunday night football. And there's Rodney Gunter getting playing times in Sunday night football in front of an international TV audience. And he said his biggest crowds usually at Delaware State were three to 400 people. <laughs> Just the transition from that atmosphere to an NFL game, it, it, it is ridiculous. And so, I mean, Dennis Gardeck said the same thing Ronnie Gunter did. The biggest crowd he had played against in his rookie year was, you know, up until that point, was the red yes. and white practice at State Farm Stadium. So that was good stuff. But, yeah, Dennis Gardeck and then Victor D. Mukherjee. Once again, you know, to me, the most improved player this season from last and I'll, season. And I'll, and I'll back you up Thank you. On Thank that. you. That's so, good. So it's two-on-one when we yeah. talk about the most improved players. Right. Ron Wolfley, and we've even established here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, that Victor is number one, and it's Bernhard Sykovitz who yep. is number two. Agreed. And then Andy yeah. Isabella, Andy Ron Isabella. Wolfley. That's right. So uh, how's that taste, uh, Wolf, on that front there? Victor Dumukeji, I think, cost Devon Kennard a spot on this roster. Now, uh, as of this recording, it looks like Devon Kennard is back with the Cardinals and will be on the practice squad because you can do that with veterans now. And that's a great move for the Cardinals to have that sort of security sitting on the practice squad and, and that sort of veteran knowledge. And and I got a lot of respect for Devon Kennard for a number of reasons. But when you saw him in the Baltimore game on the sideline coaching up Cameron Thomas in between series, with him knowing that, you know what, I might be on the bubble because of these two third-round rookies, because of the sixth-rounder a year ago, Victor DiMukeji has taken a huge step forward because of Dennis Gardak. The numbers game might dictate I'm on the outside looking in, and he was still coaching up the rookies on the sideline in between the series. That's the sort of respect that you have for a Devon Kennard. Here's Kennard's tweets on Thursday. Emotional week to say the least, but my time in AZ ain't done yet exclamation point and he attached a picture of him in his Cardinals number 42 uniform so yeah Devon Kennard back and it does give you a little bit more depth at pass rusher although he's he was never really a pass rusher with the Arizona Cardinals it was more about setting the edge and help stop the run but when you have the edge rushers that you did draft and then Victor DiMukeji as far as what he has looked like not in just practice but in the preseason his play speed, as Gardeck explained, but just getting off the line of scrimmage a half step, maybe a full step quicker than he was previously. And that, Paul, you know, can mean all the difference between getting to the quarterback and a sack or getting to the quarterback just as the ball is getting released. I talked to a number of offensive linemen, just try to get a feel as to whether Victor Dimukeji was like that preseason star, like we saw 10 years ago with a Stephen Williams, a receiver who was ridiculously productive in August, and then you never heard from him the rest of the season. They said, absolutely not. He's legit. He really has improved his game. He's improved his get off, his explosion. We have interviewed both of us, Victor Dimukeji. He's confirmed as much. He committed himself in the offseason, you know, changed his body composition. So, you know, you're hoping and you're counting on that, but it's still an unknown to a certain degree. Can he be a regular and can you count on him for production? Obviously, the two third round rookies, my Jay Sanders and Cameron Thomas, are still unknowns despite a great preseason finale for Cameron Thomas, where we called his name a good dozen times. He had a ton of production, but that was against the bottom 40 guys on the Titans roster. So you have a Devon Kennard now on the practice squad. And if for some reason, 
those three guys are unproductive by the end of September, say, and you start realizing we need more out of that position, I easily could see Devon Kennard being called up on game day. One last note here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I'm just doing a wellness check really for you, Paul, because as an avid listener of Cardinals Underground, I know how disappointed you were that Chandler Wooten did not make the initial 53-man roster. Darn tootin' on Wooten. Are you? Oh, no. We've got another marketing slogan in the works. Good. I I can write that down. I can just feel it. The the bumper stickers, the T-shirts. Here we go. That was organic. Chandler Wooten, one of the 12 players signed to the practice squad earlier in the week. So he is still an Arizona Cardinal. We just don't know when or if we will see him on a Sunday. And I'm not predicting regular season glory and greatness for for Chandler Wooten. I'm just saying that when you look at the final roster, and kudos to you for putting this together by position here. So when you look at this, Gree, and and you're saying, okay, inside linebacker, there's six and Chandler Wooten wasn't one of six inside linebackers. And look, Ben Neiman is is a veteran, and he's played snaps in this league for a while, and he had a nice preseason finale. But at the back end of that position room, if you're thinking upside, you're definitely thinking Chandler Wooten, I would surmise. On the other hand, a lot of this is predicated on who you can get to a practice squad and who you cannot. For example, a Trace McSorley. If they really thought that Trace McSorley was going to be claimed, he would not have been subjected to waivers. He just would not have. They valued a Trace McSorley. But when other teams started releasing some pretty big names at quarterback, and most teams were only keeping two instead of three, meaning there was an abundance of supply on the open market, they figured pretty it was pretty safe they could release a Trace McSorley. He would not get claimed, and they could put him on their practice squad, which is exactly what happened. I think the same thing probably happened with a Chandler Wooten. Was anybody really willing to give one of their final 53 spots to an undrafted guy out of Auburn who had some nice production, albeit in the second half of every preseason game against second, third, and fourth stringers, but just the upside on a guy who started three years at Auburn, team captain. I mean, he was seek and destroy out there when we saw him. He did not hesitate. He had the instincts. He had the football IQ. So, in terms of uh, a guy in the back end of the roster who maybe just maybe might take that big step going into next year, like if Victor Demukeji, I would keep an eye on a Chandler Wooten. You know, another guy was like Lasita Smith. I honestly thought towards the end of camp that, okay, they can cut him and use that spot and, and feel pretty good about getting him to the practice squad. No, they, 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 they kept him on the final 53, Lasita Smith, the six-rounder out of Virginia Tech. So there were some some curious moves that I, I did not necessarily see coming. But once again, it's all based on supply demand, and they have their finger on the pulse of the market, and they have a pretty good sense as to who they might lose if they're not protected in the final 53. One other player that's back with the team on the practice squad to keep an eye on, at least for me, it's defensive lineman Manny Jones. I do think he showed flashes in the preseason and someone that, again, Practice squad is meant to do two things. One, have guys at the ready, and then two, develop. But I'm intrigued by Manny Jones, who perhaps maybe just needs a little bit more seasoning, whether that's October, November, December, or spends the entire season on the practice squad and next year gets that knock or that tap on the shoulder and say, congratulations, young man. And he made a good impression in the D-line room. As Rashard Lawrence told us in the Big Red Rage, he's done a heck of a job as a rookie stocking the fridge in the D-line room. So Manny Jones, you know, he has that football awareness to be able to go ahead and serve the veterans, be a popular guy in that room. 
Although Rashard Lawrence had a critical review of it. He said it was a great Kylo impersonation, just went too long. He said, you know, I'm like, wow, it's a tough crowd in the deal. He said, yeah, he said he should have kept it more short and sweet. It would have gone over a lot better. It just, it was sort of elongated. Maybe that's why they brought him back to help him work on that impersonation to where we can actually get some video of this because we've heard so much about it, have not seen any of the impersonations. So maybe that's, maybe that's what we got to work on here over the next couple of weeks. And the fellas like to say that Manny Jones and Kyla Murray look kind of similar. They have sort of, you know, there's a resemblance in there. A little bit, a little bit. Neck up. Neck up. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The body type, the body type, not even close. But if you were to get a headshot of the two of them, you know, I could see where him coming up and doing an impersonation of Kyler, at least at first glance, would be pretty good. But how about Jonathan Ledbetter making the team on the back end of the D-line room? And, and by the way, to me, this might be the most underrated position group, or at least the position group that's not getting enough attention. And I think come the week one game against Kansas City, might really have a breakout game. A J.J. Watt, a Zach Allen, who's looked really good and really played banged up last year. Still had production, still played, couldn't even walk on a Monday, he told us. And he wouldn't practice all week, but still play on game day. So now he's 100% healthy. What is he capable of? Rashard Lawrence, knock on wood, if he can just stay healthy, his explosion and get off. How many times at Kyle Vandenbosch watching drills in Cardinals camps? Number 90, look at that get off. Look at the explosion and his ability to get in into the gaps. And that Matt Burke, the new D-line coach, is all about that, according to Rashard Lawrence and the guys. Get off the ball. Get up the field. You know, be a problem. Get in the gaps. Mess up a play. So, And then with the lucky foe, too. Who it was interesting. He was called 300 pounds of torso by Zach Allen, Lecky Fotu, and then Richard said, "No, I would call it 300 pounds of calves." He has the largest calves in the world. Well, so I guess there's a little bit of a dispute on that. He's a large man, and so that rotation, I think, um, not only will it surprise, but it's going to be critical. It's going to be necessary because there's more than one way to get a pass rush. It doesn't always have to come from the edge. And minus Chandler Jones, those guys getting in the backfield. And that inside pass rush will be very important for the Cardinals' front seven this year. All goes back to making sure J.J. Watt, Zach Allen, Rashard Lawrence, Lucky to stay healthy Yep, for yep. all 17 games. And by the way, uh, speaking of health, four-day weekend, four days off, and there are no days off once the season begins, Paul. Right. But Bell Belichick, no days off. This is the final weekend in which you actually can have a full weekend here this season. Okay, now, it's not as good as your weekend because you do have four days off. Uh, Yours truly, there's (laughs) going to be a coach's show recording on Monday. So, you know what? The game week, it's game week. Forget Labor Day. It's game week, and it commences on Monday. So, yes, come ready. Come ready. Come with. Don't don't come with your regular season mug ready. Okay, you got to have that look in your eye, and you got to have that seriousness about your craft. And and it's all going to start on Monday, and then boom, the game week goes from there. Twenty twenty two regular season, literally now just right around the corner. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover Two, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2. Darn tootin' on Wooten. <laughs>